I I just picked up the phone and I told my dad. I said to him, "My dad, tried my my hand at this thing here. Didn't work out. Sorry to have disappointed you, but I'm going to relocate you to Johannesburg. I need to try other things and get my feet back on the ground." I thanked him for his support, always being there for me, being that father figure. That was all, all I did. I just said, "Wow, it's done." Hiten Kishav is an accountant who desperately wanted to strike out on his own and build a business in spite of his parents desperately wanting him to take a different path to their own. His first business opportunity was in an unfamiliar industry where he had no experience, no network, and was burning through his own hard-earned savings just to survive. It's not often that I get to speak to someone who chose to shut down a business, but in this episode, Hitten reveals the pains of failure and the important lessons he learned that allowed him to build a better business the next time around. My name is Nick Harrelambus and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Welcome back to It's Not Over. With me today is Hitten Kisha. Welcome, thank you for joining me and how are you? Good, thanks, Nick. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. I'm excited. Your background and history is very CA focused. You are very qualified. You have an MBA too. And I think you might be the first person that is a CA with an MBA on my podcast, all those acronyms. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about you. Tell us who you are and what you do, and then we'll move into your near-death business experience. Well, yeah, the, the CA, the MBA and all of that, uh, all the educational components that, that have come through the journey. But uh, I run a business called the Unconventional CA. And uh, as you can see just from the test flow, the, the code and that, we really focus on uh, entrepreneurship and helping small businesses evolve and, and grow. And this comes from the, the, the experiences that we've gone through ourselves from a entrepreneurship perspective when we first entered the, the landscape and that. So yeah, all be the CA and the MBA is there. Our objective and that is not really around your traditional CAs uh, that are finance focused and into the number crunching space. Our, our aim and our objective is to help and evolve this entrepreneurship landscape and small medium sized industry itself and to create a more sustainable economy and build smaller businesses that become more successful Okay. And uh, is this your first business after you got all your qualifications and you did everything you needed to do in the corporate world? Did you immediately jack out of university and went, I'm into business? Or did you do the corporate slug for a while? So this is my third business. After I qualified as a CA in 2012, I went into business immediately. I, I, I knew from articles experience that, that I didn't want to be in the corporate slug. And so that's where I actually had my near-death business experience itself. I come from a family of business people, and so entrepreneurship is like in our blood, second nature. But the business that I went through and having seen my... Sorry, just that that was a mess. <laughs> Here, one minute. Let me Perfect timing. Yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem. <laughs> that's great no 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 problem it happens there there while while i'm remembering this there's an app that i use called crisp k-r-i-s-p which is 
absolutely phenomenal. I'll show, I'll actually illustrate what it is in case you ever feel the need to get it yourself. It takes out any noise that isn't your voice and watch what I mean. Jeez. Okay. Like it's pretty wild that you can't hear anything other than my voice. So if you ever feel the need, you should just get yourself some Chris. Okay, so I want you to go back to family of entrepreneurs because I'm interested in that and I want to dig a bit deeper into that. So you can start that whole phrase again and I'll edit it as as I need to. Yeah, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so in 2012, when I qualified as a CA and completed my articles, I knew I wanted to get into business. Um, I didn't want to get into the corporate slog yet. Uh, all my friends actually went the other way. They went into the corporate and I was that black sheep that said, now nah, let me try something different and go, go the path that the family went into. Yeah, three years later, I saw my ass. I lost everything. If you had to ask me my rent and cents that I had in my bank account, I could have t- told you what that was. To It was a very important learning curve and something that I would say I'd never not turn back to because if if I didn't go through those lessons, I wouldn't have evolved and understood what it took to become a real successful entrepreneur in this day and time compared to what my folks had done from their own way of doing business, especially coming from an Indian family, traditional guys, they they have their corner shops and then they evolve and grow grow those businesses. How they've done it and how you do it in today's day, day and time is very different. I'm actually interested in that because I think Indian families and Greek families, my, my family being Greek, Cypriot, are actually very closely aligned. Corner shops, buy a product, mark it up, sell a product. Like it's very um, historical. Like my grandfather and great grandfather did the same shit. My dad then was uneducated, also entrepreneur who basically found gaps and put me through private school by grinding his ass off. So before we get into your particular business, I'm interested immediately on how your family's entrepreneurial journey affected yours directly. Because for me, my parents proactively pushed me not to be an entrepreneur. And, and I'm sure your parents have got this feeling too, that, that statement that they want better for you than they had. And in my parents' okay. head, it was, if that's the case, not, do, do not be an entrepreneur. So for me, it, it drove me away from entrepreneurship when I was a young kid and then towards it very aggressively when I turned 15. So how did it affect you? It was exactly that my folks did not want me to get get into entrepreneurship. And so when in 2012, I told them I'm going into entrepreneurship, I got the death look of stare from my mother. She didn't want to speak to me for an entire month (laughs) and just gave gave me that that blanket look and said, yeah, this is not not what we we, we put you through school and, and studies for and hard work and sweat and effort that they but if I had to reflect back and look at it, my folks weren't privileged to, to have the education that they gave us as kids through their work and effort. And I was really encouraged to want to take over their business. And they, they, they point blank again refused for, for me to take over their business. So I said, I'll try something else then and give it a go. Because if they were able to do it in such an old school manner, why could I not succeed? So that that was the, the question I always ask myself. My parents could get through all these troubles. Why can't I do? And so that motivated me more to, and just gave me more fuel to say, I need to do this. I, I can't not do it. 
And like, what's interesting to me is the logic from our parents mm. is sound, right? Like we've suffered, we've toiled, so you don't have to. We've now educated you because my parents did the same thing, sent me to a university to get a degree, to get a job. They were not happy that I chose journalism instead of accounting or law. But then what makes us do it anyways? Like we, ha I mean, we haven't even gotten into your business yet, but this is a very interesting point for me because you had the option and you have a degree now that gives you multiple options to go and work at a business as a CA, to go and work at accounting firms. And you chose to toil like your parents chose to toil. And I just, for myself, I don't understand why I made that decision. For me, it, the answer is it's intrinsic, it's innate, it's what I always wanted to do. Why, why do you think you just went, screw it, I don't, this degree is not important, I want to suffer? I looked at it from an again intrinsic perspective, what would make me happy as an individual. And so talking to others around me, you know, from a workplace perspective, I saw a lot of people unhappy. And I said, do I want to really be in that, that type of situation itself? And there's pros and cons to, to everything in it. Uh, one of it being, you know, building a network green. If you don't have one already and you're starting out in the entrepreneurship landscape, it's very difficult. And that, that was one of the hardest lessons I actually learned because I come from a small town, East London itself. I grew up in King Williamstown, East London. And there it's very close, clicky, niche, you know, people to break into a circle of influence there is very difficult. So that was like a eye-opener for me in, in that time period. But I just felt that it was something I wanted to do. I needed to, to try something different. And I always wanted to be a different maverick. Even in articles, whenever I used to go to, to articles and that, I never used to wear plain shirts. I'd always wear floral shirts and go. It was just my nature and who I was as an individual. Yeah. That's great. That's such an accountant way of standing out, right? I'm still going to wear a college shirt, but mine is going to have florals on it, not plaid. <laughs> that's, that's great. And, you know, there's something interesting about you coming from East London. Like a good friend of mine who's been on this podcast before, Vinnie Lingham, actually is from East London too and is now a very successful and prominent uh, entrepreneur. Most of uh, the listeners in South Africa will know him as a shark on Shark Tank, South Africa. There's something to be said from like, coming from a small town where you see what's around you and you want more and you want to get out and you want to build something bigger than where you're from. Do you think that like that had an impact on you? Because where do, where do you live now? I'm in Johannesburg now. Okay. So you moved to the big smoke. I did move to the big smoke and it was part of my learning experience <laughs> in East London itself. So look, for, for me, it wasn't really because I was from East London and that I needed to be in that, that big league. I just looked at what my dad did for us as kids because there were five of us that, that went through school, tertiary education and varsity that we had helped. And I said to myself, I can, I need to do, be able to do better for future mm. generations in a way that they don't have to go through all this regime and that. And the only way I felt that it could be done was not by working in a job, but I had to create my own destiny. And so I, I thought of it mm. in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I want to make comments on this because I give my parents a lot of shit and my dad especially. And I think it's very similar for you. You wanted to do better than your parents. And the, the amazing thing is that's how I felt. But my dad managed to put two kids through private school and university. Yours, what did you say, five kids? Five, yeah. 
that it's astounding that from from basically nothing they built a business that is able to put five kids through school and tertiary education. I don't think I could do better than that now. Like, I can barely earn enough money to keep myself happy. Never mind five children. It's wild. Like our parents' generation really did have the guts to just get shit done. It's it's insane. But yeah, go go ahead if you want to answer to that. But I want to push on towards your business experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it's a good point you make that that attitude of there's that note. Uh, Never die attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nothing like the snowflakes of the lower generations we have now, where every word that is spoken offends them to their core. I mean, please, come on, get over <laughs> yourselves. Okay, so now let's push on. Oh, I'm going to get lots of hate for that one. Let's push on to your near-death business experience. So set the scene. What year are we in? What are you doing? How is the business going? Anything that's pertinent, and I'll dive in as I feel necessary. So it was 2014, around June. I was one and a half years into the starting my solar business at that time in East London, particularly ESCOM had a program called the Standard Product Program, where they were driving an initiative to get corporates and individual homes to start going green. And so they were subsidizing the, the green program. And I invested a lot of capital into developing IP for solar products and to get that distributed out into the market itself. And there came a point where I was just knocking on doors or trying and reaching out, cold calling, visiting sites and that, and nothing was, was happening. And I had to like take a step back and ask myself, again, really, you put in all this capital and that, yeah, but there's no product market for, for, for what you're doing. You don't have a brand, you don't have the credibility, people don't know you, what are you going to do now? And this, this is like one and a half, one and a half, two years out of the article, so there. And how old are you at this point? For those of us who don't know about articles, I was 27. Okay, cool. I was 27. And so at that point there, I literally had to just reflect back inwards and say to myself, am I doing the right thing by, by continuing on this thing? You pumped so much money into trying to develop this IP, this market is not accepting it here. What else can you do to, to grow this? And so I naturally just shut the business. I had to close down and reflect back and going through that that reflection uh, i realized two things from an entrepreneurship perspective and especially now when we work with entrepreneurs ourselves if you don't have a good network and you can't uh, sell on, on performance the only easiest way to penetrate the market from a success perspective is network and have that there and i didn't have that as a starting point I was in a market that was heavily dominated by Voltex and which is part of the Bidvest group and Transform Electric. I didn't know anything about this at the time. And so the knowledge that, that I actually thought I had versus what I actually should have had was chalk and cheese. And it was a big lesson for me going into to business subsequently at later stages to say to yourself, if you ever enter into business, make sure that you understand your market well, you understand your competitive landscape well, sell like hell first. Don't even fucking worry about creating the product and that they sell your bloody idea first. Make sure that people want it and you have that buying before you even go and invest for the cash and deploying things in that regard. And it's a big mistake that I see a lot of entrepreneurs make in this day and age is that they say, I don't have money to, to start a business. 
the first thing is the question I ask is, have you sold? Have you been doing any sales? Have you got pre-order lists, the waiting list of customers? And many can't answer that question. And I, the reason I asked that question to them is because that was the biggest mistake I made. Instead of going out and selling him my idea and that day, I said, no, let me have this product and develop this thing and then I'll take it to you. I reverse asked myself and I ended up into a ditch. All that money and sweat that I put into starting that business, I couldn't recoup at all. Wow. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there. The The first thing that I want to ask is if you are comfortable sharing it, if not, I don't really care. How much money did you actually invest and where did you get this money from? Well, all my savings from articles, it was 250000 that I, I put in. Sure. So, uh, when you're 27, that's significant. Yeah. I saved everything and put it, put it into the business, couldn't get it back. And... Where did that money go? Were you using it for operational expenses? You said you developed IP. Is that where it went? Like over a period of 18 months, the money just went where? Combination of IP. So we went to China to to develop the IP and get that brought here. And then operational expenditures, basically around marketing. That that was the the main thing. I didn't take any salary for myself. And so I was just living off ends me trying to to get the the sale. And we only had one client and that was a school that that bought into it at the time. But I I was too emotionally drained and out of it at the time to say, can I take this thing? But the lessons again from that, I have to say, are something that I will forever be grateful for going forward. Yeah, I mean, it is. it seems to me like the typical thing that I'm sure you tell people and I tell my investees and mentor, mentees that if you're going to build something, build it as young as you can because you have as little expenses and cost base and little risk. Like, who cares if you screw up when you're 25 or 26? And I think that's luckily looking back what happened to you. The question that I'm now plagued by in my head is, you were a CA. Why on earth did you choose this business? Of all the businesses that you could possibly build, why choose the one with heavy cost investments to get the IP, import-export expenses, installation expenses, hardcore sales, big business with slow sales cycles, like all this complexity, were you even, did you even know what you were getting into? Or were you just like, fuck it, ESCOM's got this deal, I'm in? It's exactly that. It was fucking this one's <laughs> okay. got this deal, and, and it's just that. And looking now later, he, with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. The reason I've started my, my, the, the other businesses now that I've got into are, are more linked to passion and purpose. Because what I've realized is, when you have passion and purpose in a business, when you go through these dark stages and challenges. You'll always remember why you're in business. And I didn't have a strong enough why to start that business. And that was part and parcel of why I also flunted. My mindset was certainly not evolved to, to the point of understanding what marketing, what sales, uh, what starting a sales cycle itself was all about. I was very green on it. I just thought that my, no, my dad was successful in business, so this thing will be a, a breeze in the park. Fuck. A different story when you try it yourself and you don't know anything. Yeah, and I suppose I mean I'm speaking out of tone here because I'm not a CA, but I suppose the gap between I have learned about business and the finances and I'm now building one is vast. 
Like it's the Grand Canyon of gaps. And you're tricked into thinking because I am an educated financial financial person, I understand how to build things. And there are so many moving parts in a business that aren't relevant to finance. And don't get me wrong, on this show, I can't repeat it enough. Cash flow is the thing that kills 99% of businesses. But once you've understood that, you still have to do the sales, the marketing, the IP development, da 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 that CAs don't train for. And like, did you feel like that gap was pretty vast? Very vast, very, very vast. What we were taught in articles and what you end up being in business, completely chocolate, to your point. Operations, marketing, sales. These things are not taught to you. Not even in varsity are you taught to have given that information there. And so, yeah, you, you actually end up coming up completely green. And so if you don't have like a mentor, advisor, someone next to you to guide you and hold you through that, who's been there, done it, yeah, it can be a very lonely journey. And I, I was unfortunate you know, in my time. I didn't have a mentor, an advisor, and I refused to take my parents' advice because I knew my parents were just going to rub it back in my face and say, yeah, I told you so. Don't get involved in this thing. And so I said, I'll try and figure out my way out of this thing. I mean, the sad truth is your parents probably wouldn't have said that because they don't want to see their son suffer. They don't want to throw anything back in your face. But I'm like you. I didn't ask anybody for any advice. I suffered for the first 10 businesses back to back from 16 to 26, all failed because I had no mentor, no network, no anyone. And that word network you've mentioned twice now. So I actually do want to dig into that because I think it's an interesting point that you make on a couple of different angles that I thought you meant and then the one that I know you meant now. What you meant about a network in this industry is that it was kind of dominated by two big players. And if you could know those players, they would buy your product and they would put you in the market and then you'd get in. But coming cold, you were an outsider in a very hard industry. So you had no ins to your sales, right? That's the one part. The second part is as a fresh entrepreneur who's just come out of a CA You don't have other entrepreneurial friends in your network. You don't have a network of like-minded people. Did that affect you too? Very much so. Absolutely. The the area and the environment I was surrounded with was not one where either my friends or my seniors were entrepreneurial in their thinking. They built established big businesses and were attending functions or events where you know people are, are talking about things around growth scalability business and the likes and so that that definitely was one contributing factor towards it and then certainly from a business perspective having the right access to to the major players to penetrate and get your your product into the, the market as a starting point i didn't have that in, in the area and hence, why well, I, I couldn't break through the, those barriers. Partial Part of the, the first part in terms of the network aspect was I have to put blame onto myself looking at that because that's something we as entrepreneurs take charge and control of, who we choose to surround ourselves with, the environment we associate and who we want to, to learn and leverage of is all in our control ultimately. And that day will then unlock future opportunities and doors for you in future. And I'm sure you, you'd be able to elaborate more on this as well. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely something that's been so core. Aside from the one major realization I've had recently is that the early years of my entrepreneurial career were defined by my inability to say no to things. I just said yes to fucking every opportunity in front of me. And that was a huge distraction. The second thing was, 
build a network, build it slowly, build it carefully, but don't leverage it until you absolutely have to. Mm. And that last part, I think I've done pretty well over my career of 20 years as an entrepreneur. I've got VCs in my network that I've never asked for a cent. I've got business development executives who I've never asked for a sale because there will be a time when I will, but in the moment, like they're part of my network, they're friends now, I snowboard with them and whatever. Um, so there is that long-term network building that's necessary. But my question to you is having known now that you shut the business down, did you try to grow that network before you shut the business down and then you struggled or did you succeed? How do you go about doing that? Because there are definitely people listening to this now going, shit, yeah, that's my problem. I don't know the players in the industry. How do you get to know the players in the industry? So I, I shut down the business completely because I, I was just emotionally drained. And at that point, uh, and I also was for financially drained uh, at that stage. Uh, I only had 10 grand left in my bank account. So I was like, Rough. I, I then decided, let me relocate back to, let me relocate to Johannesburg because my friend, my best, best friend was in Johannesburg. And he said to me, come to Joburg. Things are thriving here. The economy, people are here. You want to get into the, the landscape, entrepreneurship in the longer term, come this side. And so I actually transitioned from being an entrepreneur where I got into a startup, tech startup business. And I worked there as a CFO for five odd years. And oh. that's how I actually built my network and my name because I started leveraging off relationships, understanding what happens in the business world. I piggybacked off the CEO, got to learn how he was running his business and learned those success tips and that. And I then transitioned out again back into to business afterwards, knowing that there were lessons that I learned in my first stage. And then what are, what are the lessons now from that? Together with the experience that you've built, the brand that you've built, the name you've made for yourself, how do you not then take that back into implementing in a business itself? Yeah, I mean, there is something really so interesting about the experience of necessary failure. Like, we we look at it, I, I mean, you, you've followed my stuff and I've seen yours, and we both kind of share this vision that if you're not trying, you're not doing, right? And if you're not failing, you're not pushing hard enough. But there is something to be said for people who go, oh, I've tried this once and I'm out. Like, it failed and I'm never going to go back. When actually, that's the start of your journey. Your first failure is where you go, oh, it was the networking that didn't work and the sales weren't working because I wasn't a player in the industry and I spent too much on cash flow or whatever. And then your second try, you're like, okay, cool. Well, then I'm going to do something different. And that thing that's different, I want to make a statement and get your opinion on it. You left being a CA and you chose a business that you had no domain expertise in, no skill set. You didn't stick to your knitting. Um, do you think that as a first-time founder, the best place to go is something that you're already good at or you're already comfortable with or you're already passionate about? Because building a business is hard enough outside of relearning about solar, relearning about all of this stuff. So do you think that you should have sticked to your knitting for your first business and maybe done a business in accounting or like you did, went and joined a startup as a CFO? Was, should that have been your first move? Look, in hindsight, if I had to do, say, or if I have to give anyone any advice who wants to start a business, always have a strong why behind why you're starting there. If you don't have that there, you're not going to succeed. I didn't have that strong why. And so 
logically, when I got into this business that was completely new to me from an industry perspective and knowledge aspect, I didn't do enough research around it. I just saw that this opportunity is lying. There was a low-hanging fruit. One of my audit clients was involved in it, and he said to me, come and get involved and help uh, in it there not realizing that there's more information and more knowledge and information things that you you, you need, actually need to do groundwork lay the foundations like what's going on in the industry itself there and so i always say if you have that strong enough why the mindset side of, of it from a business perspective the rest is naturally going to flow because your effort your accountability to yourself will all just naturally flow in terms of doing the things that, that are necessary for you to, to succeed. And yeah, if you want to be also get into a field that's also not new to you, being or learning from someone who's been there before is very important because you know the guys like Tony Robbins, uh, Brian Tracy, they all say success leaves clues. So you learn from other guys that, that have done there and been there. So that it fast tracks your journey, mm. gives you that bridge to to overcome that that failure quicker. So the lessons they've learned, the, the holes that they've built, you you know it when it comes how to overcome that. Interesting insight that you mentioned there that someone kind of tipped you off on this opportunity and was like, you got to get in and your excitement peaked and there was this obvious like thing from ESCOM that was beneficial and the everything was just like, oh, it's going to work. I know that feeling so intimately that it actually like gives me PTSD in my chest remembering <laughs> what you felt. And what comes to mind and the, the incredible lesson that I think you learned that I've learned a million times that I'm hoping to impart here, there is the founder of Basecamp's name is Jason Freed. And he wrote an article maybe 12 years ago that I still share to this day with many of my coaching clients called Give It Five Minutes. And he talks about having the ability in yourself to hear something and give yourself five minutes to process it before you respond or act. And that was such a, a world-changing perspective for me. And it, just in context of what you heard from this person in your articles about this opportunity, imagine if everybody who heard these, and I include myself here, just gave it five minutes, thought about it, researched it, looked at whether you really wanted to be in that business, and then went, fuck it, it's not for me. Because that was the first 10 years of my career. Somebody gave me an idea and I was like, yep, I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough. I can build this. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm going to make this work. And honestly, 10 out of 10 didn't work because I didn't give it five minutes. And that, that is profound advice. It's uh, something that I, I would recommend everyone actually hears and implements anything that they do from a decision making. You know, they, they always say, take a deep breath, count to three. Yours is give it five minutes. Give it five minutes. And that five minutes would make such a big difference because we so often ignore our internal emotions and our gut feeling that are really prevalent and important in the longer term towards, I would say, making sustainable decisions that are in our best interest. Yeah, I think there is definitely something for that gut check. And the more you listen to it, the more it evolves. I mean, there's lots of research around gut actually being quite a relevant way to make a decision in specific types of decisions, not in all of them. But I agree with you that the gut thing is quite an important one. But for me, in my younger years, my gut told me that with arrogance, I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'm young, I'm smart, I'm amazing, I can make this work. And it just wasn't true. Like, it was just too difficult. So I want to get into a little bit of detail on this. So the first question on that front is, 
Did you have a co-founder? Like, were you building this on your own while you were going through all of this turmoil? Not a mistake I made. I did it all on my own. Uh, I didn't have a co-founder. I didn't bother about yeah, someone else that, that I thought could, could help me in this context. So big mistake that, that many startup early or so first-time entrepreneurs make is that they want to keep it to themselves. And I did that. I, I, I said, no, everything must be mine here. And knowing, you know, again, going back in hindsight, the benefit of this, I would have rather found someone who, who had skills and expertise in this industry or had access to a network and market that could infiltrate this industry to allow the business to flourish. Bang on. Yeah, bang on. That's exactly what I was thinking is if, if somebody is listening to this and they're like, oh no, I must control 100%. Well, okay, what if you gave 20% and you specifically in this business to somebody from one of those big networked players? and said to them, you've got a network, bring a Rolodex, let's go and we'll turn this business into something. You're giving up 20% of your company, but you're gaining 50 potential clients. Exactly. Like there's there's a playoff there that most first-time entrepreneurs are like, no, 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 100% must be mine. And that's okay. Like later in my career, that's how I feel because I know how to build a business. But in the early years, you could have had somebody who just opened doors for you. And that kind of tricks me, leads me into the next question, which is, like, why do you think the sales weren't working? Of, of course, you, these two big players, cool, but you, you're a smart guy. You obviously did your research. You would go into these potential clients and they would go, no, thanks. So there's a, there's a book that I'm reading right now. And if I had read this book in 2014, I would have realized this. And it says that success is either determined by performance. And if performance can't be measured, your success is determined by your network. And so from a performance perspective, ah. success, because you're a small business and starting off, trust and credibility is something people are going to buy into, right? And if you don't have traction, the performance part to, to say that this product works and we've got clients there, how else would a client actually buy into you? It's put through a referral to a trusted network itself to say, use this guy, we know him, we've, uh, we've vetted him. People will then say, okay, let's give, give the guy, give the lad an opportunity and open the door. And so that, that's the reality of every small business, you know, the, the, the trust and credibility aspect. If you can't build that brand and association, especially when you're playing against big players in the market that, that have been here for 30, 40 plus years, how are you going to then say, okay, here's the big guy here and here's the small guy here. Okay, give me an opportunity but I don't have anything to do. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting conundrum with this networking thing. It's, it's why the old boys clubs need to be broken, right? Because there are these very difficult networks that are impossible to get into if you don't look a certain way and act a certain way and come from a certain school and go to a certain university, then you're kind of certainly screwed. And I do understand that this is a very difficult place for young entrepreneurs to be because how do you break into something which you don't even know exists? Like how do you, you don't even know what you don't know on that front. So it is complicated. And I would argue that the more you fail, the more you learn about the networks you need to get in. So the last big question I want to ask you on this business before we get into the more EQ relevant stuff is tell me about the day you decided to shut this business down. Like, I'm sure you remember it. Like I remember every single time I've decided to shut down a business. What was the tipping point? And then what did you do? What was the first thing you did when you were like, I'm done? It was July 2014, 15th of July, 2014, actually. Yeah, you see, I, I knew you remember the exact date. And I, 
I just picked up the phone and I told my dad, I said to him, you know, dad, tried my, my hand at this thing here. Didn't work out. Sorry to have disappointed you, but I'm going to relocate to, to Johannesburg and I need to try other things and get my feet back on the ground. I thanked him for his support and always being there for me and for being that father figure. That was all, all I did. I just said, wow. it was, it's time to move. And did you have staff that you needed to retrench? Did you have suppliers you needed to pay out? Like, what did you do with that stuff? I was lucky, lucky not to, to have any of those challenges because we contracted work where, where we had clientele. And so uh, I made sure I didn't have any overheads to, to deal with from debt perspective in that regard there. The only thing that was left was all, all the, the IP infrastructure that we bought, the, the assets. That today still sits in my dad's garage for clean enough. He still got it. <laughs> that is crazy. Nearly 10 years later. Yeah. He must love that. You know, it's very rare on this show that I actually do get to speak to somebody who made the hard decision to close a business. And there is something that I'm sure you come across a lot in your work with small to medium-sized businesses that I come across all the time. People don't want to start because they're fearful of failure and what other people will say when they fail. So my question is, what did the people in your world do and say when you failed? Look, I was laughed at by real? a few friends. I was laughed at. I Seriously? Give, yeah, I was. Uh, but I couldn't give a shit because I, I knew I was always... I was going to say, fuck those guys. I, I knew I always would, was going to be a black sheep because I <sighs> always wanted to, to do something different. But hmm. for me, I, I just always use people's negative views as to succeed the more someone uh, tries to shut me down it just drives my motivation back to higher to say i'll walk through you wrong and so uh, man i'm so disappointed that's your answer <laughs> shit i was gonna be like no nah, nobody get nobody said anything and nobody cares and you've screwed up my i teed up a certain angle there and it just isn't what happened i'm so surprised at that because i i in my world i i think i'm lucky i'm surrounded and i've i've calculatedly surrounded myself with other entrepreneurs. So whenever one of us fails, it's like, oh, fuck, Rad, okay, what did you learn? How did you do this? What comes next? Like, what are you going to build? How can we help you? So I'm saddened and surprised that the people in your network laughed at you because screw those people, that's some bullshit. But Nick, to, to that point, again, it's the power of the network. My network when I was mm. in 2014, 2015, and my network today is completely different. The people I associated yes. myself with then and the people I associate myself with today are completely different. So if I were to fail today, to your point and, and experience, the guys will ask me, what did you learn? Okay, well, what else is there that we, we can think? How can we support you and take you out of this? That's world? interesting. And so do you think that over the last eight years, you have curated the people around you better than you did when you'd finished? Like you specifically bringing people into your network who understand your worldview and your choices in life? Yeah. Very much so. Everyone understands my purpose and my mission on what I'm about and fully support everything that I do today. Hmm. It's a key transition from being a young person who's just left university and you've inherited your friends because you do. At university, you are put into a class with people who just share an interest in becoming a CA or for me, a journalist to leaving and going into the big wide world and having agency to choose your friends mm. and choose the people you surround yourself with. There's that saying, you know, you are the five people you spend the most time with. 
I, I firmly believe that, but on the negative too, I've often said, I think you become the worst parts of the five people you spend the most time with. And you have to be happy with that too. So what I've done is specifically curated incredible people into my life so that the worst parts of them are the best parts of me. And if you don't do that, then you're going to get the shit from everybody. Yeah. You're just going to get the worst bits from all the people you inherited from when you were 12. Like I'm a different human from when I was 12 to now being 38. How could I possibly be best friends with my 12 year old best friend? Unless they've also grown like I've grown. It's crazy. But let's not go too much on a tangent. I want to ask you about how you recovered. So this happens. You've lost your capital. You have got your tail between your legs. Your friends are being assholes. How do you overcome this? Like, what do you do for the next six or 12 months emotionally and mentally to like be okay with this? So I actually found my, my wife today and I met as I was about to do the transition. Wow. And so she, she played a, a very supporting role in my transition from a mental perspective. And then one of my best friends today, he's actually a Vosky friend. He, housed me in Johannesburg for six months and said, come over, wow. find some, find your feet here, go and get whatever you need to, to stay with me. Don't, don't worry about anything. And so those are the two pillars of support that I'll never forget and I'm forever grateful for during that year, 2015 year when I made that move to, to Johannesburg mm -hmm. and then got back into the startup world as an employee and then started building some experience and rebuilding and recalibrating recal uh, that, that network and uh, circle of influence that I started to associate myself with. It's such a critical point and one that I'm glad we're, we're like ending on that it does matter who's in your network. It does matter who you surround yourself with very directly, that if you've got someone to help pick you up from all of this mess. And I mean, I do credit my partner for suffering 17 years with me through 13 businesses, most of them failures. Like you have to have a strong partner who's willing to put up with that shit and support you through it because like it's quite severe depression at the end of all of these trips. Like you have to overcome this failure and this mental anguish. So yeah, I think it's a very key point that if you surround yourself with people you want to be like and who can support you, you're going to end up better anyways. And ultimately, I think you and I can probably both agree that it doesn't matter what you end up building as long as you're building it with the great people around you that's really the important thing because businesses come and go and it's one thing this show i think has taught me is that there are umpteen businesses you could pick to build like just name something it could be a business but if you're doing it with people that respect you and you respect then it's all the better yeah it, may, may, it makes such a difference having that thing. and that's the power of energy as well energy that you yeah. you associate with other people you attract and you also if you're going to associate with a negative mindset and negative infiltration you're going to end up being in that element itself it's like how you said that power of the five people the worst of that five you want to bring out the best in you similarly to that yeah, spot on. Okay, so now it is over to you to tell people where to find you, where to follow you, where to buy from you, and anything else you'd like to leave them with. The floor is yours. Well, only thing I'd like to just leave uh, all the viewers with the follow yourself, Nick. Definitely, I think there's a lot of information and shared uh, that, that you can think. If you'd like to follow me, I'm on LinkedIn, and we have a run a business called the Unconventional CA, and we're always here to help and support small businesses to avoid the challenges and mistakes we've made to create a more sustainable environment.
Amazing. I will link in the show notes to your website, your Facebook, and your personal LinkedIn, because I think that there's value for my listeners there too. But hidden for now, I'm super happy to say that for you and Unconventional CA, it's not over. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks for having me. Amazing. <laughs>